is in First John. We're going to look, first of all, at chapter 4, verse 4, and then chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. So let's begin at First John chapter 4 and verse 4, a passage that you are uh, perhaps uh, familiar with, and uh, it's good to know where these verses are located. I, uh, I know more verses without their address, I guess, than I should, but um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 is a very powerful verse. Amen. All right, before we look at that, just remember again, you were never meant to live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. We're in this world, but we're not of it. And we see Jesus was in this world, but not of it. And he did not look at things the way everybody else looked at them. And because of that, his life produced tremendous fruit that glorified his Father. And we see that throughout his time here upon the earth, and that ministry continues now through the written word and through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, that he is desiring to shape within you the same worldview, the same perspective, a a heavenly perspective, a higher perspective of not just this world and, and how this world functions, and I, but, but our place in this world. We're, we're here on assignment, amen. And it's important for us to uh, recognize that this world is not our home. Our homeland is heaven. Our homeland is the kingdom of our Father. Our native tongue is an unknown heavenly language. I am bilingual, amen. I speak English and I speak heaven, amen, by the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to have the right perspective so that we will experience things the way our Father intended for us to experience them. Now, a point that we've made, and again, I don't want to offend you, but we need to know the truth. The truth will make us free, enable us to live free. And the reality of the truth is you cannot overcome the devil unless you overcome his lies and deception. You cannot overcome the devil unless you overcome his lies and deceptions. And in case you haven't heard it enough here lately, we are supposed to be overcoming the devil, not some of the time, not even most of the time, but every time. Our God always causes us to triumph. Amen. Now, with that said, let's go to 1 John chapter 4 because the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John had some things to say about this. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4, you are of God, little children. And have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, is the way it reads in the King James Version. And and that portion of, of the passage is the one that people are most familiar with. But that's not all this verse has to say. It begins by saying, you are of God. And we are of God because we've been born of God. We are of God because we've been born from above. We've been born of His Spirit. We've been born of His Word. We've become new creations through a second birth with a completely different seed from the one that we we were born from originally. Amen. And because of that, we are of God. We, We are His people. We are the body of Christ. We have union and common union and fellowship and oneness with the Father. So you are of God, little children. We are children of God. We are children of God, and we are growing. Amen. We are developing. We are increasing. And then he says, and have overcome them. I want you to pay very close attention to the verb tense here. Because a lot of people look at 
life and this world as something that they will overcome. He didn't say you will overcome. He said you have overcome. How is it that we have overcome? We have overcome because Jesus has overcome the world and he has given us his victory. In the same way that he fought and won uh, righteousness for us through him living a righteous life as a human being on this planet and then gave to you and me his position of right standing with the Father as a man, we now have right standing with the Father based upon what Jesus has done. And in the same way, we have overcome this world and everything that's in it, every devil that's in it, every sin that's in it, every addiction, every bondage that's in it, every sickness, every disease, every infection, every virus, every, every physical illness, every mental illness, every emotional illness, there's nothing in this world that you have not already overcome. We are not losers trying to win. And that's one of the lies and deceptions that the enemy has placed upon the body of Christ. And, and, and you say, well, Pastor Mark, how do you know that? A lot, of, a lot of reasons, a lot of ways I know that. But one of the ways is just listen to the songs that so many people sing in the body of Christ today. They're singing those songs from, from a position of, of someone who's defeated, trying to figure out how to hold on to the end and, and maybe we'll win. No, no, no. You are a victor. You are a winner. You are a success. You are the body of Christ. Come on now. You're not, I, are you feeling this? Come on now. We, got, we, we need to understand this right here. This is extremely, extremely important. You need to confess this over yourself. I have overcome. I have overcome. And because I have overcome every day of my life, I'm living from a position, from a mindset, a victory, a victory. You're not the sick trying to be healed. You're not someone who's broke trying to figure out a way how to get, get a few more dollars in your pocket. See, that's, the, that's, this, that's what we mean by you were never meant to live in this world with a view of this world that comes from this world. That's worldly thinking. Heavenly perspective, a heavenly view, perspective, worldview of your life and your place in this world is I have already overcome it. That's why, that's why the Bible talks about, you know, whatever may unfold in the future. We don't have to be afraid of it. We, we, we don't have to fear it because Jesus has already been, even death itself. We, we don't have to fear death. Are you hearing me? We don't have to fear death. And it's through a fear of death that the enemy has kept people subject to bondage their entire lives here on planet Earth. But see, a worldview fears death. A worldview is, you know, that's like the worst thing in the world that could happen. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is even better than that, is gain. See, that's a, that's a heavenly perspective. And once we have that perspective and allow that be let that, let that become the lens we live through, it changes how we experience everything that, that we face in life. Are you following me? Where you see yourself as a victor. Amen. So you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Why can we say that? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have the greater one in you. You have the greater one in you. It's very, it's very matter of fact, I almost came this morning with Wednesday night sermon just to re-preach it to the Sunday morning uh, uh, turnout, praise God. 
But one of the things that, and I'm just going to be brief on this. You have positional oneness with God if you've been born again. Just like if you're in the room this morning and you're married, you have positional oneness with your spouse. But there's a difference between being positionally one and being functionally one. And we see that Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And then he also said, I can of my own self do nothing. And Jesus sets the example for us as a human being living on planet earth, functioning as one with God the Father. And he set that example for you and for me to look at and to learn from. And we see that him refusing to have a view of this world that came from this world was a key factor in Jesus' functional oneness with the Father. Amen. Amen. Let me say it another way. You will never function as one with the Father looking at things in this world and in your life through the lens of this world instead of through the lens of your Father, instead of through the lens of heaven. Now, this being victorious and overcoming the world, we see the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle John to speak more on this in the next chapter. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. He says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. So notice again, he didn't say this is the victory that will overcome it. He said this is the victory that has overcome it, our faith. Who is the author and finisher of our faith? Jesus. Amen. How did Jesus overcome this world and everything that's in it? By faith. By faith. So the faith that we have, again, as human beings on planet Earth, has already been tried, tested, and proven by our elder brother Jesus. How do we know and and, and how can we so confidently say that this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. It's because Jesus modeled victory over this world by faith, and we have the same faith. We have the God kind of faith. You're getting quiet on me. I hope it means you're thinking, and I hadn't lost you. You still with me? So whatever's born of God, meaning if you've been born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So living in victory over the devil and overcoming the world he rules. Remember, Jesus identified Satan as the ruler of this world. I, I, don't misunderstand when I say this, but, but we are not reminded of that enough. Satan wants you to think that God is controlling everything that happens on this planet. And that is not the truth. Not if you believe the Bible is the Word of God. Not if you believe what Jesus said out of His mouth. Jesus said Satan is the ruler of this world. That's not how it was designed. That's not how it was intended. It was intended for you and for me to be the ruler of this world. For Adam and and the descendants, the offspring of Adam, to be the ruler of this world. But Adam bowed his knee to God's arch enemy and turned over that authority to, to the devil. Jesus came to take that back by defeating the devil and then giving you and me the victory that he uh, won as our representative. 
So now we can take what we've become in Christ Jesus as the body of Christ, and by faith, we can impose defeat on the kingdoms of darkness because of the victory that we have been made, that we have, that we have become. So living in victory over the devil and overcoming the world that the devil rules requires living by faith in God. And if you look closely and and deeply into these verses, the question that is asked in verse 5 is bringing the reader, the believer, to a very important conclusion. There is no other way to overcome the devil and to live victoriously in the world that he now rules unless we're born of God and we live by faith. In the same way, and I could point out many other places in the, in the Scriptures, where the truth is stated to you and me very clearly, and then it leaves again, a question in people's minds, well, if this is the case, if, let's just say we, we took verse number, uh, chapter 5, verse 4, the first part of that verse, and whatever's born of God overcomes the world. It's, it's kind of like, by His stripes you were healed. In, in other words, it's like, well, I must not be doing something right because I'm not healed. I must not be doing something right because I've been born of God and And I'm not overcoming the world. The world's overcoming me. I'm being overcome and overcome and overcome. So he's saying that it's twofold. Being born of God is what gives you the victory. It's what makes you the overcomer. It's what makes you, um, you know, (laughs) one who possesses the keys to God's kingdom. And all of the resources and, and all of the the um, authority and ability that comes with the kingdom of God. But someone who has been born of God but doesn't understand how to walk in faith is not going to experience the victory that they actually are. Victory over the world is an inward reality of the new birth that must be given outward expression to. And that is carried out practically in our lives, practiced in our lives, by faith. And so, born of God, living by faith, and he's asking this question, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In other words, he's saying, because believing Jesus is the Son of God is how a man or woman has been born again. So he's saying, Living in victory, one more time, living in victory over the devil and overcoming the world that the devil rules requires living by faith in God. There is no other way. Now listen to me very carefully. There is no other way and the devil knows that. The devil knows. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that had he understood the plan, he would have never, ever crucified Jesus. He would have, he would have never, he thought he won by killing Jesus. And, and, and the reality of it is killing Jesus was not Satan's greatest victory. It was his greatest defeat. It was his eternal end. Because in crucifying Jesus, he made a way for you and I to become new creations in Christ Jesus, to become the body of Christ. And 
created a platform now for you and I to do the works that Jesus did and even greater works because Jesus returned to his Father and the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. So I'm going to say it again. Born again, living in faith is not only how we walk out the victory that we've already been given and that we've already become, there is no other way to do it. Satan knows that. Do you know that? Satan understands that. Do you understand that? Because remember now, ignorance on our part equals an advantage on the enemy's part. So 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Walking by sight means living your life based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. This is how the overwhelming majority of people, saved or unsaved, live their lives on planet Earth. The overwhelming majority of both born-again and not-yet-born-again men and women on planet Earth live their lives on a daily basis, moment-by-moment basis. That's what this word walk means. Walk means step-by-step. It's breaking down the the, uh, whole of your life to a moment-by-moment, step-by-step. In some places, we even see our daily walk in life referred to as our conversation. And this, of course, you know, is supported by Scripture in, in the sense that what comes out of our mouths is charting the course that our lives follow. So it's not just the steps that we take, it's the words that we speak that determine ultimately the life that we live and experience. Are you following me now? Okay. So to, to live by faith, to walk by faith, amen, and not by sight, means not living our lives on a moment-by-moment, step-by-step, and watch this now, word-by-word basis, based upon how things look, seem, and feel. I'm, I'm not here to go into great detail in all of this. We, we do this periodically, and obviously we do it every year in discipleship class. But the Bible has so much to say about the words that come out of our mouths, because words are often your first response. And it's your response more than any other thing that Satan is trying to control and manipulate. What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? One of the responsibilities, I learned this from Brother Copeland, one of the responsibilities that I have as a servant leader in the body of Christ is to provide you with biblically true things to say out of your mouth. What shall we say to these things? And Satan is so deceptive. See, he he wants like, let's just, again, nobody shout out any answers, okay? But what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth when something doesn't go your way? Is it, are, could they be qualified as words of victory or words of defeat? See, the, see uh, again, and, and it's so funny to me, religion and the world, they, people who teach on the words of your mouth they just, they just write it off as laughable, as ridiculous, and, and, and all these other things, despite what the Word of God has, has so much to say about it, both Old Testament and, and the New Testament. But see, that same world will think nothing about cursing an item or an object. 
right? In other words, I don't. Do you bless? Do you bless your automobiles? Do you do you do you speak words of, of, of thankfulness and, and blessing? See, they, are you you're crazy? But see, the same people that say I'm crazy for asking that question or for doing that, they think nothing of of cursing it and even kicking it if it don't crank on a Monday morning. Sorry, good for nothing car. I can't believe I ever bought you in the first place. My mama said I shouldn't have got a monster, but I gave I'm just trying to, I'm just, again, I'm trying to show you here. So, it, living your life on a moment by moment, step by step, word by word basis, are you doing that based upon the way things look, seem, and feel? Because this is the subtle way that Satan is, is trying to, again, you can't overcome him unless you overcome his lies and deceptions. And so many times we're, we're, we're looking for like, you know, a skull and crossbones or some kind of, you know, poison or, you know, a, a, a man wearing a red suit with a pitchfork label on things so that we will know, okay, now that's... That's definitely uh, of the devil, and I need to stay away from that. But that's not how he works. Remember, the Bible says he shows up as an angel of light offering you alternative ways of looking at things. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Walking by sight means living your life based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. Responding to situations in your life based upon the way they look, seem, and feel. Walking by faith means living your life based upon what God has done for you already and said to you already, regardless of the way things look, seem, and feel. Let the poor man say, I'm rich. Let the sick man say, I'm healed. Let the enslaved man say, I'm free. It requires no faith for a broke man to talk about how broke he is or for a sick sister to talk about how poorly she feels, right? But see, that's, that again is, is responding to whatever we're facing in life based upon the way it looks, the way it seems, the way we feel. We will never, ever, please hear me, born of God with, a, with enough power in you to raise the dead, but you will never experience victory in life as long as you respond to whatever happens in your life and what goes on around you in life based upon how it looks, seems, and feels. So walking by faith means living your life based upon what God has done and said regardless of the way things look, seem, and feel. And of course the example for us is first of all God and then Abraham learning from God in Romans 4 where God calls things that be not as though they were. He responds to lack by speaking abundance. He responds to symptoms by speaking life and healing. Now, you can say that God is a liar or Abraham is a liar, or that I'm a liar, or anyone else who does that is a liar. But see, I, I said that kind of backwards. If you, if you call me a liar for doing that, you're saying Abraham is a liar, and you're saying God's a liar. 
Because that, see again, but people who don't understand that, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, people who don't understand that, people who think that men and women like me and you who call things that be not as though they were, who respond based upon what God has already said and what God has already done as opposed to the way things look, seem, and feel. People who call me and you liars for doing that, guess what? Their view of this world is a view that comes from this world. They're looking at the situation through a lens of this world. And therefore, they can't see what you can see. Thank God we can see it. Amen? So... Looking to Abraham's example, as we are instructed to do, we see strong faith requires a singular focus. If you write things down or take pictures of slides or whatever it is that you do to remember things, praise God. I'm going to ask you to write that down. That's very important right there. That's a word from the Holy Spirit for for you and me this morning. Strong faith requires a singular focus. Now, this is where it ties back into our golden text for really what we've been looking at six months already this year. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on the earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven because what, where you lay up is what you look to and what you look to becomes the lens you look through. He said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be fragmented, your focus be fragmented, um, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you, in other words, if the way you look at things is not accurate, is distorted, then if the light that's in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? So I'm trying to simplify a lot of these things so that, Number one, you'll have the understanding of them, but also so that you can see, you know, where we've been already in our study and where we're headed in our study and, and how these things link together, okay, and what one has to do with the other. So I'm going to say it again. I'll probably say it a few more times. Looking to Abraham's example as we're instructed to do, Romans, the fourth chapter, tells us to look at and learn from Abraham's example of faith. So much so that we should follow in the footsteps of his faith. Because his faith journey and faith growth and development is an absolute perfect example that cannot be improved upon for us to look to and learn from. Now, there are, there are plenty of other examples and lots of other places that we can look to and learn about faith, but Abraham's is the, um, it's, it's the standard, and, and it's the example, it's the pattern. And so, looking to his example, we learn a lot of things, and one of the things we see is that if you and I are going to be in strong faith, we are going to have to have a singular focus. Now, maybe you already know that, maybe you've never heard it said exactly like that, but I'm going to remind you, and again, 
that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. And the devil understands, whether you understand it or agree with it or not, the devil absolutely understands that if a human being is going to be strong in faith, which is the victory that overcomes the world, then they're going to have to have a singular focus. So if you look at it from the devil's perspective to understand his strategy, he doesn't want you to be strong in faith. He wants you to be weak in faith because if he can neutralize your faith or cause your faith to be diluted or weakened, right then you become less and less if, if, if of a threat to him. And if, we're, if you're not careful, even born-again people become uh, uh, instruments in the devil's hands, something that he can actually use uh, to further his purposes and bring fruit to himself instead of fruit to God. So if you put yourself in the devil's perspective, if, 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 if strong faith requires a singular focus, then what is the devil going to try to do over and over and over again? He's going to try to, to prevent singular focus in our lives, and he's going to try to divide and fracture and fragment our focus, because the more divided and fractured and fragmented our focus is, the, the weaker we are in faith. All right, let's look at it in Romans chapter 4. Turn there with me, verse 16, we'll begin there. Romans 4 and 16. Now, we're, we're continuing our study on the three leavens, okay? First time I've said the word uh, from the pulpit this morning, but we started down that road last week, and I have not forgotten about that, nor have we changed channels, okay? Because what we're ultimately going to see is the reason Jesus was telling us to take heed and beware. In other words, two very strong words is because leaven is something that's very easily slipped in that alters the substance of a thing and ultimately changes the end results obviously he's talking about yeast and bread but it's a metaphor okay and Leaven is one of the main ways, we could, we could pretty much say the way, that Satan wants to prevent singular focus from ever developing in your life. And so he wants to slip a little leaven in here, a little leaven in there. And Jesus told us there were three categories of leaven. He told us to beware and to, and to take heed the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, and the leaven of Herod. All right, and so we're going to, we're not going to have time to do it this morning, but next week we'll get into this, unless the Lord has something else he wants to say before we get to this. But at some point in the near future, we will get to this, okay? But the leaven of Pharisees, if I could simplify it, and we'll expound upon this more, but the leaven of the Pharisees, it, it involves looking to religion, for the answers, for the solutions, for, for what we need. Okay. The leaven of the Sadducees involves looking to the higher things of this world. They were very educated people. Um, they, they, they would have been uh, you know, on, the, on the forefront, the cutting edge of technology and, and, and things of this nature. Because remember now, a Sadducee doesn't doesn't believe in an afterlife, and they don't believe in miracles and supernatural. So in other words, for the Sadducee, all the answers are where? They're in this world. Are you seeing this? 
A Sadducee doesn't believe in, in, a, in a miracle or the afterlife or heaven or hell. It's all about this life. And, and, and any answers that will help anybody are going to be found within the intellectualism of, the, of this world. The answers of this world. Okay. And then Herod, the leaven of Herod, again, simplify. These are people who look to government for the answers. Look to government. And, he, and here's the amazing thing, and, and we see this in the body of Christ, and we see it in the world. I wish we only saw it in the world, not the body of Christ. But in the body of Christ, see, um, people who have been contaminated by the leaven of Herod are people who both look to the government as the reason everything is wrong, <laughs> and then they also look to the government as the only entity that can make it all right again. And it's sad, but, you know, God's people have this wonderful opportunity on social media to shine the light and to proclaim the truth and all these other things. And yet, so many of God's people have been so contaminated with the leaven of Herod is all they can talk about on social media is politics. Getting quite up in here. All right, that's true, right? What if, starting today, everyone who's been born of God stopped tearing down the president and all these other things. Pray for him. If you can't say something good about him, don't say nothing at all. Your mama taught you that when you was a kid. I hope she did anyway. Okay? And instead, re-diverted all of our social media efforts towards the truth and towards heaven and towards the things of God and towards the wisdom of God. We just flooded social media but see, again, the devil's sitting back laughing his backside off when people who know the truth that will change this world forever, all they can do is talk about Biden falling down a set of stairs. Heaven help us. Heaven help us. Or make jokes about rich people dying in a submarine. Heaven help us. Heaven help us. The leaven has done bloated... <laughs> I'm talking about 11 now, and I'm supposed to be doing that later. Amen. Are you still with me? Can you hang in here with me for a few more minutes? So, strong faith requires a singular focus. I told you last week we live in the information age. We have lifetimes, literally lifetimes of information at our fingertips. I mean, you just... And so, one of the, one of the Satan's strategies is just inundate us with tidal wave after tidal wave after tidal wave of information. Why is that? Because the more information he can bombard you with and the more information you let in your mind, the, the more opportunity he has to fragment your focus and weaken, dilute your faith. All right, let's look at this here. Romans chapter 4. Strong faith requires a singular focus. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be." 
And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced, King James says, fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, God, he, God, was also able to perform. So, as Abraham and Sarah, and if, if you recall, when, when the word of the Lord first came to them that they were going to conceive and give birth to a, a son in their old age, they laughed. It seemed laughable to them. But the angel of the Lord wasn't laughing. The angel of the Lord looked at him like, why are you laughing? What? There's nothing funny here. Is there anything too hard for God? And, and of course, notice now the difference in perspective, right? At this point, Abraham and Sarah's view of this world and their place in it, right, was one that had been formed and shaped by their own life experience, by the things they had, had been through in this world. Now, all that was changing. God began to speak to them. They began to obey Him, and that needle is moving in the right direction. But at this point in their growth and development, the thought of them um, having a union and her conceiving and then giving birth to a child was laughable. But now notice the perspective of the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is like, why does that strike you as funny? In other words, it was not, notice now, it was not the response he was expecting based upon his perspective. His perspective was these, these fellas, you know, they're going to like celebrate, hug him and kiss him and then tell him to get out of their house and they're fixing to head back there and, and that's what he's expected. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just trying to show you. That's not what they're <laughs> They're like, are you And then, then he's like, why are you laughing? Go, we didn't laugh. Yes, you did. I heard you laugh. See, it's a difference in perspectives, how you see things. So as they went from unable to see how it could ever be to progressing, watch this now, they came to a point to where they couldn't see it any other way couldn't see it any other way. They went from can't see how this could ever be to can't see how it can't be now. That's their growth and developing faith. So how was it, what was the thing that the Lord showed Abraham the key to being strong in faith? The key to being strong in faith was selective, what I call selective consideration. Did you see it? I feel some of you slipping away. Stay with me for a few more minutes, okay? Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. He quit focusing on his age. He quit focusing on the way things, wait for it, the way things, wait for it, looked, seemed, and felt. He refused to consider that. And what happened when he refused to consider that? He took the double-mindedness out of the picture, and now we have a singular focus which enables him to be strong in faith. And strong in faith means what? Here comes Abraham and Sarah with a baby carriage. That's what it means. So strong faith requires a singular focus. One more time, this is why Satan then tries to offset, negate, weaken, and neutralize our faith by dividing our focus. Stand with me this morning. You cannot walk 
in strong faith and double-mindedness at the same time. Matter of fact, you can't walk in faith at all and double-mindedness at the same time. This is what we see in James chapter 1. It says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. I don't have that other verse in here. I thought I did. But he goes on to say, For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I know I've said this two or three times. I'm going to say it again. The Bible is very clear. We cannot be ignorant of the devil's devices, his strategies, what he's trying to work and effect against us, right? Lest he have an advantage over us. And one of the key things, one of the key strategies that the enemy uses against God's people, born of God, have been given a measure of faith, the God kind of faith, enabling them to, to practically live in victory in this world. So what's, how's the devil going to try to neutralize? How's he going to try to contain you and prevent you from being a threat to him? By fragmenting your singular focus because in order to be strong in faith, you must have singular focus. All right. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for the things that you're revealing to us, helping us see, helping us understand. Holy Spirit, I ask you, I give you permission in my life, and I ask that, that these listening to me now would give you the same permission in their lives, that when our response is one either blatantly or subtly manipulated by this world and by the enemy and by lies and deceptions, that you would make us aware of those responses, those words, those actions, those feelings, even those emotions, and that rather than us acting upon those things and responding in ways, Father, that agree with the enemy and disagree with you, that we would be aware and that we would begin to say a singular focus reflected in our words what you say about us, about our families, about our finances, about our future, about our health, about what we know and don't know, about what we can do and can't do. And Lord, we thank you that these are all those things that that facilitate this significant shift that you've been speaking to us about this year. Father, I thank you for life and peace. I thank you for your love and mercy. I thank you, Father, for your wisdom and your word, alive and active in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You be blessed. Good things coming. I'll see you um, uh, soon. Amen. And you have a great afternoon. Praise God.